like movies about gladiators. Those men wanted to have sex with me. Great Scott. Nice Bieber. Cinderella boy. Rambo is a pussy. Come with me if you want to live. Hello and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee and today I'm also going to be playing the part of George McGee because he's not here. Worry not, it's only part two of our tribute to Sir Roger Moore. The reason George isn't here today is that he has been tasked, well, sorry, was tasked, as this has already been recorded, with interviewing Mark O'Connell, the author behind the highly acclaimed novel Catching Bullets, Memoirs of a Bond Fan, an essential read for any Bond fan, and a person with unique knowledge of what goes into each and every James Bond film. For the uninitiated, in addition to being a well-established comedy writer, working for the likes of the BBC, uh, Channel 4 and Channel 5, and also working with Ronnie Corbett, Mark has unique access to the E.ON production family, E.ON being the company responsible for the James Bond franchise. George caught up with Mark and talked to him what it's like behind the scenes of a James Bond film, what these guys were like in real life when you get to meet them and where he sees the franchise going next. Obviously, as part of our tribute, they will pay special attention to Sir Roger Moore, discussing their favourite films and the like. We'll be back with a typical Retro Ramble episode covering the classic 80s action film by Richard Donner, The Goonies. Uh, so please check that out when it's available. So without further ado, here is the interview between George and Mark O'Connell. Enjoy. I'm delighted to welcome Mark O'Connell to the Retro Ramble podcast. Mark is a comedy writer, author, and most importantly, a Bond fan. His first novel, Catching Bullets, Memoirs of a Bond Fan, is essential reading for anyone who grew up in the age of VHS, so key for uh, a lot of our Retro Ramble listeners. Mark's experience of growing up with Bond was a little different from the average fan. His granddad was the chauffeur of Bond producer Cubby Broccoli, and it's a touching mix of memoir, nostalgia, film critique, and Bond trivia. Mark recently wrote a touching obituary for Sir Roger Moore in The Guardian and had the pleasure of meeting the legend a few years ago. So, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hello, good evening, hello. <laughs> what was it like greeting Sir Roger? Utterly surreal. It's three or four years later. I don't think it's sunk in yet. I don't know if I want it to sink in, but um, it was lovely. It wasn't. It was never guaranteed, and he was doing his 2013 autumn tour, and he was at the Guildford Civic Hall, as it's uh, used to be known. And I, I do know his manager and uh, biographer Gareth, and yeah, you know, there was no promises, but we were just sort of beckoned uh, through the back sort of the stage door and it was literally like oh my god I've not actually felt this nervous since waiting to to, to meet Santa at, sort of <laughs> De at Debenhams in the 80s and this was like wow, wow and it was utterly surreal I was with my husband well my husband to be at the time and our mate Pat and all of us were big Roger fans and we didn't expect anything and if anything I cut it short because I didn't want to be that guy that was just a bit sort of hanging on mm. there's one or two other people that wanted to say hi uh, it was I, he was utterly charming and he would he put put us all utterly at ease really really quickly um, I remember my partner was like going to get a photo and he was sort of shaking and Roger made this really nice quip about the photographer should not be shaking or laughing and it, I think that sort of just <laughs> thumbed it up and he, he'd mentioned how he 
because he did have diabetes uh, in, in his latter years and how he couldn't drink. But there was a cheeky, upturned, empty bottle of uh, champagne in, in an ice bucket. And I thought, that's Roger Moore. That's <laughs> that's the bond I know and love. So, yes, to sort of answer that, it was just utterly surreal, but just re- really nice. I mean, for, you know, when you sort of think about it, the amount of people he must have met, and he had an utter skill that he'd obviously honed over all those decades. And he just made you feel just very special and he was just genuinely interested as well he's interested in the book and he said he he promised he'd read it and six months later he came back with an email um and i was like oh my god it's some cease and desist sort of email <laughs> but, it, but it wasn't it was the exact opposite and i you know I sort of i thought hang on i've just got an email from james bond this is you know and and also a guy in his late 80s as well that was sort of also a, um, a great thing so yeah it was a very, it was a very blessed moment to sum it up from all this sort of stuff I've read as you come out that since his passing is that nobody has a bad word to say about him. Everyone said about how much of a gentleman he was, how charming, how, you know, he would go out of his way. And obviously, you know, his, uh, his UNICEF work speaks, speaks volumes, but yeah, there's so many sort of touching sort of stories that came out. I don't know if you saw there was a, a one story doing the rounds on Facebook about a, a little boy meeting him in the airport and That's right, yeah. Yeah, getting his autograph. And yeah, it just yeah, it just sounds like a, you know a, a legend through and through, which is uh, it's nice to know. He, he also had a. Well, I get this in actually. I said this the other day to someone, but he also and I didn't really notice it perhaps till after he passed. But he had a real, a, a very brilliant skill at being concerned for people or, or just making sure everyone was all right. And I think that's sort of reflected at most in what he did for UNICEF, um, where he took it extremely seriously, and it was a very personal chapter in his life but he really genuinely cared for people and I, th- I think that's also come out of the stories like the, the little kid that met him at the airport and then again 30 years later and I've not you know I've heard stories from well my grandfather being a chauffeur who worked on the bonds I heard the stories there but you know all these sort of the electricians and the crew there's so many people that said oh I went on a ho- holiday with Roger Moore you know Roger mm. Moore went on holiday with my dad who was a carpenter you know all these sort of different stories that he wasn't sort of A-list in his um, ability to reach out to people. He seemed a very much, well, very sort of self-critical in the interviews and obviously in My Word is My Bond. He doesn't rate himself much as an actor, but he was seemed very humble and, yeah, self-deprecating. So it's... Oh, yeah, he was a brilliant actor because it's actually, I mean, I've tried it and I've seen others do it it's really hard to do nothing on camera it's a you know it's a it's a real microscope a movie camera and to just to make it look like you're doing nothing and pulling it off that is a a massive skill Mm. very few people have it michael kane is one um i'd say pierce brosnan is another if we keep him with the bond but it's it's a very hard it's a very careful skill and it's also partly a yesteryear skill it's it's from a different era of sort of acting and movies and tv but he had it and i yes he put himself down a lot i think that was part of his sort of survival mechanism and it and it worked true true and you're right it's it's a a classical technique and in sort of editing these days it's more everything so quickly cut you you don't really get long sort of lingering shots anymore do you no no because editors editors edit the performance they they often edit the beat and the moment and create the drama as they always have but if you look at those films, Roger Moore's really holding the screen. There's a lot of reactions there. There's a, you know, he's reacting all the time. Actors don't act, they mm-hmm. react. And you can see him reacting a lot. Um, and that, that is a skill. And, you know, I know he's, he was the first to line up and say, I'm, 
not maybe not a good actor, but I think he was wrong. But but yeah, you're right. He held the screen, and that's something that Charlie and I touched on in our discussion. That even if the films were were mediocre or a bit ropey, he's still you know you're still captivated by his performance, mm. by his presence. Which leads me on to uh, what did you do you watch in in his memory? I mean, I'm sure I, I saw the the supermarkets were shamelessly cashing in and had all the sort of the Roger Moore Bond DVDs on display. But uh, did you watch anything with the news to sort of to, to indulge yourself? I went. I did. I went back to some interviews. I and then I I think it was, was it a week later. I went to up to the Odeon Covent Garden when they were doing the double bill tribute charity screening for UNICEF and uh, so watching sort of Spy Who Loved Me it was actually quite emotional because uh, Gareth his manager was a couple of rows behind us surrounded by friends some of which had, had worked on the bomb films and and yeah when his name came up I sort of thought do we clap or mm. do we I, you know and, and, and then it was just a, a silent moment but um, yes yeah, so I think so Spy Who Loved Me was the one I went back to but I'll, I'm going to go back to them all I'm sure in fact mates are pushing to have a live and let die nights around their house with their massive big screen so we'll be doing that soon as well yeah very nice I think we we were wanting to dig out Spy Who Loved Me as well but sort of looking through our DVD collection my all my my Bond collection was in storage because I'm sort of between houses at the moment so we have right. to settle for uh, Man With A Golden Gun you know that does have a bit of a, a kitsch appeal for us and obviously great performance no, from, from Christopher there's Lee there's no settling for Man With A Golden Gun you don't, <laughs> you don't settle for that you look, you look forward to it well, yeah, I mean, uh, that's, uh, I think the, the go-to would be, I think, uh, and most people would agree that Spike Love Me is uh, has it all, really. Yeah. I, I watched that at, uh, at Somerset House a few years ago, and it was mm. it was amazing just to watch it with, you know, a huge audience as well. Yeah, I mean, that was actually what was quite nice about the screening for his tribute, that they... Yes, these films have aged and you know evolved. You know we have rather as audience members, but people were they weren't mocking it. The humour was great. The, the ridiculous beats was were still ridiculous beats. But my God, that film, as an example, zips by. Suddenly it's Shane Rimmer time, and I'm like, what? We're we're here already? Because sometimes when you go back to films you love and a that are part of your life when you actually sit and watch them in a big screen sometimes they can you, they drag or, or there's sort of longer uh, moments where they're not doing much but no, no not at all and it, was, it was brilliant to see a sort of 40 year old Bond film holding up extremely well yeah no I mean it's it's, uh, it's one of the greats I think it's definitely in, in my top five Though it, though it is it is a tough one when you sort of trying to rank your Bond films because I suppose it does depend on on mood in terms of your book, uh, Catching Bullets, brilliant encapsulates the the golden days of the video store, being at the mercy of TV schedules, setting the video recorder, you know, sort of missing bits off, you know, going through the adverts, that sort of thing. And Bond as a character has always changed with the times. And again, that's, you know, something that you touch on and mm. how we sort of, they, they tap into the, the sort of those uh, cultural, what's what's happening at the time. Do you think he's going to adapt to the way that the current sort of entertainment industry is? You know, there's with Amazon and Netflix, we're in the golden age of TV. Do you think mm. Bond would ever, would we, would there be potential for a a Bond series, you know, a, a mini-series, or dare I say it, could you expect uh, Sony to threaten something like The Money Penny Diaries or M, The Early Years, in a shared oh. universe? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I must admit that the sort of lines between TV and cinema are slightly blurring, and I think it's all for the good. Television's definitely going through a second or third golden age, US TV particularly. 
I, I, I can hear what you say. I think Bond, it's partly fueled by the nostalgia for all those previous films, but I think the sense of ownership with Bond is a bit like Star Wars or sometimes mm. Superman or, or Lord of the Rings. People will still physically want those films. And I, I'm not, I'm not old school about how people see that. If a, if a kid becomes a Bond fan because he happens to see half a trailer on his phone on the <laughs> bus home, I think that that doesn't matter because our entry points and our entry methods are all totally different with, with Bond and uh, the other big franchises. And I think the importance is that you get into them. So people, I, I can never understand even to this day how people can watch a film on the commute home on their, you know, <laughs> um, I suppose if I did it every day, I would, I'd want to kill the time with good things like a movie. I, the streaming thing, I think at the moment, Bond is very much a cinematic event. It's a theatrical event, mm. physically and sort of creatively. So the idea of perhaps, you know, shifting emphasis and going off into that sort of shared universe, I don't think that's part of the plan or, or might be on the immediate horizon. I can't yeah. see it happening. Also, it's a massive undertaking to do just one Bond film. That's you know, true. So the, so the idea of, because, you know, Eon are, are very, they're very adamant of getting the quality right and getting the product right. And I think perhaps the idea of splintering off and doing other things, even if they oversaw it, I, I don't know if that's quite where they're at, you know, in their thinking. Yeah, no, it's, it's as you say, they are still the sort of the typical blockbuster or, you know, event movie, I suppose, that Bond, you know, it's a, it's a big Christmas release. And the same as, yeah, as you say, Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, you have to look forward to, you know, the whole family, get everyone together and go and see it over Christmas. Yes. Um, so, yes, I think uh, I think we're, we're in agreement that it's, it, it needs to be on, on the, uh, kept on the big screen for as long as yes. possible. And, and also the Broccoli's Barbara, uh, particularly, but the, the sort of whole creative and family setup they've got—they're very—they're they're very movie people. They're feature film people. They're the, for for Barbara. I, I would suggest that it's the, the whole process of making the film. I think she calls it the circus of of assembling the circus and, and touring with the circus. I think that's that's part of the appeal for them. You know, the end product is obviously vital, and getting the audiences in and to appreciate what they do is is vital but the, the whole the whole project and production is part of why they're bond fans and why they do it so I, so i think we will still have bond motion pictures yeah i think there'll still be big theatrical events it's, it's a good point because we're in such a studio driven industry now i mean if you look at the sort of the disney machine with marvel and star wars you've got obviously all the comic book films that are dictated by the studios there's sort of the age of the producer is is kind of there's not so much focus on individual producers anymore and am i right in thinking do barbara broccoli and uh michael g wilson they don't produce anything else their sole focus is bond films is that right no actually no not at all okay. they do produce other stuff in together and and with other producers barbara's very as an example barbara's very uh, keen on promoting new talent and stories that aren't perhaps going to be the biggest blockbuster in the world um she's she's current they're currently in post-production on a film called uh film stars don't die in liverpool which is based on an early 80s novel which is a fascinating story about gloria graham the uh, 40s and 50s hollywood movie star who ended up spending her last 
uh, years and days uh, up in Liverpool with a journalist and it's a, a Annette Benning's playing the lead and Julie Walters is in it and Vanessa Redgrave and Jamie okay. Bell so there's that and there's there was also a film a couple of years back called A Silent Storm that Barbara produced where she really uh, pushed and helped new writers new directors and new producers as well she's very keen on nurturing new producers plus they've got all their stage productions i saw um the um, literally amazing probably the best piece of theater i've ever seen back in march at the royal court in london which was an adaptation of robert evans book um the kid stays in the picture which was just a stunning production that barbara was very hooked into and nurtured and because i think bob evans knew her father as well oh, so, yeah. so oh, i wasn't yeah, even they, aware they, of the uh, of the theater stuff no, oh yeah theater they i think perhaps a few years back it was announced they were going to sort of do a co production thing with a television company i don't know what's what's quite happened with that but yeah i think Bar- barbara she loves stories she she likes finding the story and finding people to tell the story and I, th- I think that's very you know she's she did an indie film called i think radiator a couple of years back that no one saw but it was very personal to her and i think at the time she said that um i don't just want to make films for boys you know so she's <laughs> Yeah, and, and then on top of that, they, they do a lot of um, Barbara's. Or, I don't know if she still is at the moment, but she was um, she was a, paid, a heavy, you know, high patron of BAFTA and lots mm. of women in film initiatives. Uh, yeah, so yes, they're actually to answer they're they're very plugged in and doing lots of different things, uh, and it it feeds back into Bond as well. It, it it you know working with new writers, new casting agents, you can see it. Helen McCrory was in Skyfall, and then suddenly Barbara's working on a film that's cast uh, Helen McCrory's husband, Damien Lewis, as the lead. You know these <laughs> these relationships are important to Bond. A few people get a bit hissy about oh why can't they just make Bond well. Barbara and Michael are creatives. They want to create. Yeah, and it's there's obviously people can argue that the films are formulaic, but it's it's a formula, and obviously it needs tweaking. And there is a certain magic to it that they've been going for. Is it sixty years now? Oh uh, well, fifty five. Yeah. last fifty five years. Um, I, I I always think it's less of a res- uh, less of a formula, more of a recipe where they they've got to pick different ingredients. Some you know might be standard, some might be obvious, but they'll they'll just fleck it with different ingredients, different uh, produce. And I think that's where they that you know it's a formula, but but I don't. I, I think they'll never admit it makes it easier. I don't think that formula makes it easier to do the next film. If if anything, it's the opposite. Mm. Well, as, yeah, as you say, it's a, it's a bit like a machine. There's so many moving parts and so many people involved in in making such an, an event film. It's, uh, it must mm. take a bit of time. Mm. Um, mm. But that leads, you know, it's been well just uh, almost two years since uh, Spectre, and there's the sort of the ongoing rumours is is Daniel Craig retiring even though he's contracted to do one more. The the film rights, uh, I think, have certainly got the rights for one more guaranteed. Is that right? And I, it's not been announced anything's guaranteed. It's still... Sony, their contract ended with Spectre, to the last Bond film, but they, you know, which has left sort of Eon and Bond in a... I imagine in a bit of a limbo. But mm. they, they've been, in, you know, looking at other companies to, to sort of get into bed in a Bond-type... Well, not in a Bond-type way, but to sort of get into a business bed with different companies and I'm sure an announcement will be out there when the ink is dry. So what are your thoughts? Do you think Craig will come back? Do you, and if decides not to, who would you like to see in the role? I know it's a, it's a tough question, but I'd be interested to get your thoughts. Yeah, I, my hunch 
and feeling is that Craig will return. There's a few factors in place, um, getting a director that you know everyone's happy with getting a script, everyone's happy with, mm. and there's a little bit of sort of chicken and egg Catch-22 stuff going on where, you know, a new studio will obviously want to have some claim and input into directors and it's and writers um but i believe a script has been written um or being worked on um by uh, neil purvis and robert wade who've mm-hmm. got a good track record with eon so that's in the works um the, the bond production cogs rarely stop at eon house they're all you know they're always working on something or, or researching or investigating or you know looking at new business paths partners and new ways of filming new ways of in, you know enhancing local film production but i i do feel I, I feel craig's got one left in him i don't want four to be the new sort of maximum of bond mm. bond tenures um yeah i think five's a, a good round number and also it's gonna be the 25th bond film which may or may not have some resonance for eon they might want to sort of mark it with a proven actor or start again then to answer your question about who could it be uh, who knows i i didn't call craig out although i do remember when layer cake come came out i thought my god if that's not a bond audition and then mm. i don't know what it is and then a year later it proved it was very much a bond audition there's there's a few names out there i i, I always get asked this and i always i try and struggle to remember who i would thinks the best one I, I think Fassbender would be amazing as Bond yeah I, I think he'd be what well, speaking of Bond auditions after seeing him in Inglorious Bastards I was just like yeah. that guy needs to be Bond but I think sadly he might the ship might have sailed he might be too big too old you know too busy <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely I think maybe he's I mean it's awful to say someone in their 40s is possibly you know too old for mm. uh, the role of Bond, but it's also it's not just doing one or two films in the next two or three years. It's you know having a window of ten years, and you know Craig's mm. um, already had the role for ten years. Um, but yeah, Fassbender would definitely be. He's probably my top of the wannabe list. But then there's also Dan Stevens, who I think is a really good actor. Uh, uh, also, he's not known by everyone. Bond tends to be. Yeah, but that, that's everyone it. recognizes, it, but no one knows. Yeah, it can't be too big. Uh, no, I, I'd uh, agree. With you. Dan Stevens is uh, is a favourite of mine. I th- have you seen uh, the guest? You know what? I haven't. I've got it on my hard drive, and I keep. I'm never quite the moods, especially with this heat at the moment. The moods never quite there to watch it, but I, I definitely, I do want to see it. Yeah, check um, it out. That's, that's, yeah. that's I think that's his sort of Bond audition. He, he's uh, he's quite sort of you know, you know you think you go into it thinking oh what that bloke off Downton Abbey but he uh, he certainly kicks ass on that <laughs> yeah well he's well also Barbara I mean it's been proven the last 10-15 years she she really rates good British actors when mm-hmm. you know, you've got Robbie Coltrane Judy Dench uh, and then plus all the you know the European actors, Javier Bardem and um, Monica Bellucci. She really rates actors, and she you know through the theatre work as well. She's and she's a, she goes to the theatre a lot as well. And I mm. you know that she'll there'll be people out there she's probably had her eye on um, that we we might not ever know. So you've obviously had a, a long-running close relationship with the Eon family and uh, your book, you talk about the various sort of mementos that your, your granddad Jimmy would bring back. What's the, uh, the best memento you have from, uh, from the Eon partnership that you, you've experienced? Well, if it's physical things, I, I always rate I got a watch from Cubby, which, was, um, <laughs> which I did actually, it's in the book, I did actually accidentally destroy it um, yes. I, took a, I wore it at school which was a big mistake and I found I looked at it the other day and I was just like nearly in tears again um, but, so that was always a, 
a cool thing. And also just like, I remember the first thing, one of the first things I got was the Octopussy soundtrack on cassette. Uh, and it had some sort of writing and notes on these sleeve notes. Oh, and wow. I, yeah, and it didn't make any sense, but I thought, you know, I was just told it's from the office. It was my granddad would always say, it's from the office. <laughs> um, but I, I suppose the ultimate memento, and it's something that fortunately we're privileged to still have today, and that's just the memory of going to see the film, or see the, whichever new film is coming up, perhaps a few days or a month before it comes out, and that's, that's always a blessing, and I, I think the whole point, that ritual of going to the cinema, and it's often in the West End in London, way early on a Saturday or Sunday morning, and it's, it's the only time we ever go up to London really, really early, and it's like sort of 28 days later, and we're there for Bond, <laughs> and no one knows it, and that, that, that sort of stealth subterfuge of seeing those films in that early context that's sort of what is still um of great value to me as a fan and also as someone that's you know grandfather worked on the films yes definitely well no one of my um favorite memories and you might have actually been there uh, i uh, won tickets for the premiere of everything or nothing the the documentary oh yeah yeah um at leicester square and and it was great to just to see so many sort of because it was quite a celebration. There was, uh, I think, Ken Adam was there, and mm. uh, I think I think I was sat next to or like a row in front of the woman that played Sylvia Trench. I think if she's, she's right. still with us, so it was just yeah, so many random people were like popping. I was like, oh, that's so and so, and Ch- Charles Dance was there, and so yeah, that was uh, I think sort of a highlight for for me. Um, whilst mm. I, you know, the dream is to to properly attend a, a black tie Bond premiere. Uh, I don't. I think my my chances are are, are limited. Well, they're special. I've done the last two, and they're, they're a special night. Um, nothing compares, uh, especially at the Albert Hall as well, where everyone's literally in together. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've got good memories of, of the last two Craig premieres. Speaking of which, I saw um, the Albert Hall are doing uh, Casino Royale with a live orchestra later they in the are, year. They are, yes. Are you, uh, are you going to that? I am, yes. I'm going to go on the Saturday. I think they've added another day due to... Uh, demand. Yeah, I'm going to be cool to see it. Um, it's a strange place to see a f- film. It's sometimes like watching a film on the side of a cliff. Mm. Um, but the, the, the sound quality in there is just stunning. Uh, so I'm just really keen just to hear a live or- orchestra. And I've not done any of those sort of live movie orchestra things. I'm curious how they work and how the sound... Actually, I'm sort of, sort of thinking, how's the sound split? They must obviously have no no orchestra on the actual soundtrack it's, um, it's fun it's uh, I saw um, Aliens uh, end of last year yeah. uh, and it was fantastic and yeah you've got the it's a little bit weird because yeah you have the whole orchestra and then the the audio must be a separate channel and I'd say the only distracting thing is that you've got subtitles on the screen as well in case the audio the, the orchestra drowns out any of the dialogue oh okay but, but for me you know it's yeah, it's a, if I've never been to the Royal Albert Hall before, so that was quite an event in itself. Yeah, yeah seeing yeah something with a, a cracking school is definitely worth it. So yeah, no, yeah, I'm looking, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to try and get. So. Yeah, they're going to. You should have. Yeah, try and get some tickets if you can. And um, I think they. It's the beginning of hopefully a, a series of hopefully do some more. So um, cause I'd love to see on a Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, that's that, f- fantastic that soundtrack! Context, yeah. yeah, yeah, really, really like that uh, that score. Very sort of synthy and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I realise I've been taking up quite a bit of your time, so I'll right. one more. Uh, well, two two more questions. So uh, this is a bit of a. Uh, a sort of a, a dinner party question that I have uh, for Bond fans. So, Ultimate Bond, if you could remake any Bond film or book with any of the uh, Bond actors, who and what would it be? So, 
for example, uh, Daniel Craig in Honor Majesty's uh, Secret Service? Oh, I, I hate this question. Not 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 that it's your question. I just um, it's a tough one. It's a tough. It's one. that hindsight that only movie fans sort of put on mm. project onto things. Um, I'd love to have seen Roger Moore do Diamonds Are Forever because it yes. it, yeah. it feels very tailored for him and that, that whole idea of well they they do it live and let die. He's like the sort of British or English fish out of water and dropped into Harlem of the early 70s. The idea of him being in Vegas that appeals. I think it's a, a beautiful script. It gets knocked to that film. I think it's a delicious movie. It's got the best dialogue of any Bond film. Um, so maybe Roger Moore in Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, I definitely think Roger's better suited to Vegas than Connery. He'd definitely have yeah. more fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I suppose out of curiosity, seeing what Dalton's third Bond film might have been, it, it wasn't really going to be what Goldeneye became. Um, but seeing him, it's more seeing perhaps an, an actor doing another role, um, another film, rather than swap them over. Um, yeah, I de- we, yeah, uh, yeah, we we definitely, uh, both Charlie and I, have a lot of love for Dalton. And yeah, it is that sort of what if it would have been great to get yeah at least one more out of him because he's you know he's a fantastic actor and he, mm. a fantastic bond as well mm. I'd, I'd love to see craig also do that sort of big bond i mean they they hinted at it and did a little bit of it with spectre i'd love to see uh, you know the the mammoth cathedral sets and and guys in matching orange jumpsuits <laughs> but that, that's probably about my nostalgia and age than anything else um but I'd lo- yeah i'd love to see a really not camp, but a real sort of baroque, nearly sort of kitschy Bond film. I, we don't live in those times anymore, but probably for good reasons. So. Yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, it is a lovely uh, what, what if uh, just to see him how uh, how Daniel Craig would would cope in, in such a, an environment. There was, as you say, there were shades of that in uh, Inspector. Yeah. Well, also we've we've got this thing now where we're all you know I don't see globalization as a bad thing overall, but Bond particularly we. The idea of going anywhere on a plane is not as exotic as it used to be, so um, it's harder for Bond uh, to sort of surprise and be exotic with all these locations and different backdrops to the film. So yeah, I think I think Craig's done very well. Well, indeed, I was going to say where where's left for Bond to go? I think is it Australia and is it, is it maybe there's, yeah, there's plenty yeah. of places, but for different yeah. reasons. Usually logistics, finances, also, you know, windows yeah. of. Through Australia's a brilliant idea. I, mm. We've all had sort of fancy ideas about that. I'd love to see Bond going to a sort of Station A sheep shearing farm that turns <laughs> out to use lab or something. Um, but it's you know, if it possibly, I mean, it would have been done before for, if they could. Um, and like you say, Africa. Um, mm. I think there might have been a sort of Africa leaning in the early drafts of Spectre, but that got. Uh, pulled out a bit. Mm. Um, I'd like to see uh, Craig go back to, the, to uh, Asia and uh, what used to be called in the seventies the Far East. I'd like to see Craig with a uh, uh, you know, sort of real martial art Bond film. Yeah, no, that's um, that's something. Uh, Skyfall, you know, it was him to start with Macau, and it, mm. that's that's a part of um, the Bond sort of the, the behind the scenes stuff that I love that how much of it's actually done at Pinewood <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how much like even that uh, is it the you know, opening of Casino Royale where it's supposed to be Sierra Leone or something and that's just the Pinewood backlots yeah 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 oh yeah yeah well that yeah it's always always uh some forest just outside Pinewood. Um, <laughs> that's the beauty of it. The artifice is that's how it works. Well, that's, yeah, it's, it's a fact that it works. It's just completely believable. And uh, and finally, I've got to ask, what are you currently working on? Do you have another novel in the pipeline? I do. I'm I'm in what 
movie people called Post Production. Uh, literally been doing a big day on it today. Um, I'm doing a, uh, got a new book out in the autumn. Uh, or the fall, as they say in America. Mm-hmm. Um, as a little hint there, it is a prequel sequel to Catching Bullets, and I'm not going to say any more. But it's certainly in uh, Retro Rambles sort of neck of the '80s movie store woods. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, um, I am very intrigued and uh, definitely look forward to it. So obviously, Catching Bullets is is still available. So it's um, yeah. just, just to let our listeners know. So uh, Catching Bullets features uh, forwards from Sherlock and League of Gentlemen writer Mark Gatiss and uh, the lovely Barbara Broccoli, and afterward by Bond Girl legend and Mark's future wife Maud Adams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's available from good bookstores. It, I know it's definitely on uh, Amazon. That's where I got it. From. Yeah, it's. It's very much out there, all the good uh, bookshops even, and a couple of the bad ones. And yeah, it's very much on Amazon and um, direct from the publishers as well. Um, and yeah, Kindle and all, all various formats. Wonderful. Well, we'll definitely put uh, links to it uh, on on our blog, on the website as well. Yeah, thank um, you. But thank you very much for your time. Not at all. No, that's been good fun. Thank you very much for inviting me. So that was our interview with Mark O'Connell, hosted by Retro Rambles, George McGee. Sorry about the echo there on George's side. We did our best with the quality, but it can't always be perfect. So if you've not checked out Mark's book, get thee to Amazon or check out uh, markoconnell.co.uk. And obviously it's available in plenty of bookshops. It's a great read. It's got forwards from Barbara Broccoli of Eon and also uh, some nice kind words from Mark Gattis, he of uh, the TV show Sherlock and League of Gentlemen. So get some thumbs up from some very important people and also a thumbs up from us so be sure to check it out next time we will be back to the usual format both of us brothers mcgee taking a retro ramble on the 1980s cult classic that is the goonies so thanks for listening and we'll see you next time